Naperville is home to hundreds, if not thousands, of stories. As time goes by, some of those stories are lost to us. One of NCTV 17's missions is to capture, tell, and preserve as many of those stories as possible. Sometimes they're the story of someone whose accomplishments should never be forgotten. Other times they're stories of a time and a place that reflect who we are and where we've come from. And sometimes the stories may seem small, but on closer examination, they tell us almost everything we need to know about family, community, and even country. These stories are available on the NCTV 17 website as they were originally intended as visual media. By putting these documentaries online as a podcast, we've stripped these stories of the visuals that help to tell them, a photograph from the time, or a lower third graphic to let you know who is speaking. And yet the stories still work by simply listening alone. Let the sounds of these documentaries open up before you and learn more about the people and places that helped make Naperville the community it is today. Naperville, Illinois, a major city of the Chicago metropolitan region. It is home to nearly 150,000 residents, a population of business owners and their employees, truck drivers and teachers, baristas, barbers, chefs, librarians, parents, and their children all who consider Naperville their community, whether they planted family roots long before tractors roamed the land, or if they flew in from another country. Every single person, young and old, contributes to the advancement of a town that was at one time struggling to find its own identity. A town that would turn its cornfields and pastures into neighborhoods, schools, and parks. Its river would no longer draw horses in for a drink, but visitors and townsfolk thirsty for a good time. And its cow paths would be paved to connect not farms and stables, but major cities and interstates, opening up suburban exploration, commerce, and through the high-tech corridor, introduce Naperville to the rest of the region, the country, and even the world. Naperville just jumps into this new economy, and that's just going to allow for this tremendous uh, residential boom that's going to take place in the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s in Naperville, and that's the annexation and, and uh, subdivision expansion. I think that at the moment that they reached up to grab that land, um, they thought that something was important was coming, but I don't think they could have guessed what was coming. Everybody goes, geez, there's 50,000, now there's 70,000, you know, there's 80,000, 100,000. There was nothing that struck me that knew that Naperville was going to grow to be one of the largest cities in Illinois, but it has. While Chicago and its metropolitan region responded to growth by constructing new homes and neighborhoods, Naperville braced itself from the inside by assembling a professional staff at its core, creating a solid structure on which the city would be able to stand as the growth poured in. It's a model of the 20th century city, telling of a country in transition, a region undergoing significant change, and a community looking to define itself through its modern development.
As one of the most socially turbulent times in America's 20th century, the 1960s questioned the influence of government and the decisions it made on behalf of the country. The onset of the Vietnam War brought cries of peace, love, and freedom, dominating the voice of the youth, and it began a movement to reject the old ways of thinking and bring on new ones. 30 miles west of Chicago, as a riot ensued during the Democratic National Convention, the quiet suburban town of Naperville is experiencing a political upheaval of its own. Their mayor sees the country is changing. He recognizes that Naperville is slowly, but definitely growing, and their good old boy commission government is losing ground in a city on the verge of expansion. One of my desks was to change our former government which was a very awkward form, and as well, I think, a very weak form. I had to do so by referendum, because the council, my own council, would have overruled me. Joined by the League of Women Voters, Mayor Stauffer gets a referendum on ballot to change to the council manager form of government, which will provide more structure and bring a single professional manager to oversee and carry out policy set by its council. With their population exceeding 20,000 and a new backdrop of businesses beginning to surface, the residents of Naperville recognize the need to reform their city and vote to make the change. That fall, they re-elect their commissioners and mayor as the first city council of Naperville. In turn, they would appoint their first city manager, whose first task was to prepare Naperville for the oncoming development, which had long been shaped by the transportation of the Chicago area. Suburban development that's like a layer of an onion that goes off layer after layer after layer concentrically out of the city, that's usually by public transportation. That's usually by horse-drawn um, omnibuses, then there's the cable car, then the streetcar. At the same time, there were the steam railroads, that was the big heavy gauge railroads, and that pattern was completely different. That was instead like the beads on a necklace, that you would have a, a rail line like the Burlington line that would go out from the city of Chicago and you would have little settlements then that would cluster around the stations. But once the Interstate Highway Act laid down new systems of expressways and toll roads, cars and automobiles became more affordable, allowed more freedom of movement, and immediately became a fixture to suburban life. The great advantage of the automobile is the freedom that it gave people. It, the freedom to go where they want, when they want, and how far you can go, and what direction you can go. And that is something that made the suburbs. Stretching 40 miles west from Chicago, the East-West Tollway will be the key to increasing speeds from Naperville to Chicago, and for the first time, unlock their presence in the nation. Arlo Schilling, who's the president of North Central, talks about before the tollway came in, it would take close to two hours for him to get into Chicago. And once that, that toll road opens, his connection into Chicago seems instantaneous. But it's not just getting into the city, of course. It's the idea that you're getting other toll roads and expressways. And that's going to make a huge difference in terms of Naperville's place in the region and the kinds of businesses and people that they're going to attract. And that's what got the attention of Bell Laboratories from New Jersey. Overlooking their neighboring New York metropolitan area, famous for Levittown, a suburban development that invented cookie cutter housing, they instead sought a better quality of life for their employees, expanding their operations to Naperville in 1966. A big piece of the growth of the city uh, was when Bell Labs moved out on the north side of town. That was the first anchor tenant along the I-88 corridor. 
back when I-88 was still called I-5. Uh, thought by some to be the road to nowhere. The population of the facility, just the building alone, probably was 10,000 people. You would walk down a hall and it would be just like walking downtown Chicago, the amount of people that would be moving through the aisles. And that was on every floor. Soon after, other high-tech companies like Standard Oil and Fermilab followed, attracting a new kind of resident to the area. Both those companies came out and built research and development campuses. And they brought, you know, PhDs and, and engineers from, from the East Coast. And they sort of settled throughout the community. Now you have all of these different types of people on your school boards and on your park boards and, and populating a lot of the different activities throughout the community, and you see this sort of blossoming. Between the years 1960 and 1970, DuPage County increased by 178,000 people, boosting Naperville's population by 85%. Realtors were assigned to various companies personally assisting the new employees into freshly built neighborhoods like Crest Creek and Indian Hill on the north side of town. Even Mayor Ken Small, an employee of Bell Labs, found his home in nearby Saybrook. Naperville created subdivisions, we created shopping centers, and uh, created the infrastructure that these companies needed for their employees to have a place to live and call home. The emergence of the high-tech corridor marked the beginning of the end for old Naperville. New cars cruised the neighborhood streets, classrooms filled with students and teachers, and the little farm town known for its rows of corn and pastures filled with cows was about to drastically change as city manager Bill Norman began to assemble his team. Its day was awakening, and this little small rural community was about to have big time development, and they needed to plan. They've hired professional planners. Uh, Walt Newman came in. Uh, Ed Becker and myself, probably the, the three of us, along with city manager, were probably the key staff uh, dealing with uh, this growth. For transportation, planning, and utilities, their first duty was to begin at ground level with the most critical part of city development. The Springbrook Water Reclamation Center guaranteed the city's ability to manage and operate one of its most valuable utilities and provide the framework for future developments a key component for developers obtaining permits, and what ultimately brought another 5,000 new residents by 1972. And probably that one facility and all the connecting sewers have probably played the biggest part in the, in the development of Naperville. Nearing 27,000 people, over 75% of the parents living in the community were educated beyond 12 years. They strongly believed in the next generation having an equal opportunity at education, if not better. Generally, there was uh, a desire for more students to be prepared to go to college that was reflected in what was going on in our local schools. Uh, but even at that, uh, it was the expectations of their executives and their workforce to have their students exceed what even their, their parents were doing. With nearly 1,200 school districts in Illinois, the state solution to enhancing education was to minimize redundancy and gain more consistency across larger areas. The state of Illinois uh, tried to encourage school districts to consolidate into unit districts or into larger districts at that time. And so they offered um, extra money for anybody that would form a unit district. 
Elementary District 78 and High School District 107 in Naperville became Unit School District 203, which would serve approximately 90% of the student population, while Elementary Districts 4090 and 182, which spanned Aurora, Bolingbrook, and a portion of Naperville, began discussing how they might benefit by separating and forming their own Unit School District. They just felt like they would be overwhelmed to be part of the Naperville School District 203 and it would be in their best interest to try to form a unit district among the three. Simultaneously the law required that a unit district have its own high school so the the three districts in trying to form Indian Prairie 204 uh, worked with what was then Aurora Venture uh, property development to acquire a site for a high school uh, that ultimately became Wabansi Valley at Eola and Ogden. Uh, and that was sort of the last step in, in, in enabling it to become that unit district. In 1972, both unit school districts were officially formed and they were granted more than $1.5 million by the state of Illinois but they needed to come up with a set of boundaries to determine how each district would allocate its tax revenue. In the early 70s, as more homes and commercial spaces are being filled, the school districts will have to apply the teachings of their elementary students and learn to share with one another. Everyone wants to take in as much tax revenue, and we had one that I'll never forget, that 204 proposed a Nabisco was coming into Naperville at that time. They came to us with a boundary that went down Ogden Avenue, took in Nabisco, went right up behind Nabisco and took in nothing else, you know. <laughs> to avoid inequities between the districts, they divided assets and property across Naperville. About 7% of District 107 assets had to be given to District uh, 204 in order for them to have money to start schools. While school districts were able to resolve their boundary differences, the cities of Naperville and Aurora were contesting over property of the largest development of that time, the Fox Valley Mall. The race would end in 1974, when Aurora elected to build out its electrical, water, and wastewater infrastructure specifically for the mall. With the completion of their wastewater treatment facility and the loss of valuable property and sales tax, Naperville opened up to the rest of the neighboring towns and set long-term boundary agreements to concretely define what land belonged to which city. And that's allowed us to really intelligently plan for infrastructure. Uh, and I'm talking about master planning for everything, schools, parks, highways, uh, water lines, storm sewers, the whole nine yards. So communities weren't competing with each other over land. But Naperville was home to one man, responsible for making his city more desirable than all the rest. With subdivisions named Maplebrook, the East Highlands, Carriage Hill, and Crest Creek, Harold Moser was a Naperville native whose sense of the town's history Understanding of its people and the makeup of the land made him the most recognized and successful developer in town. And knowing everyone by name didn't hurt either. The person who really embodies the development for me in the mid-20th century is, is, is Harold Mosier. You know, somebody who has grown up in, in town, whose family's been in business in town, but who sees the opportunity for residential development in town 
and he's going to be the mover and shaker behind so much of the residential development in, in Naperville and he sees the coming of the, the toll road, the expansion of jobs in the region, the idea that more and more people may be coming to Naperville if there's housing in Naperville. Moser had a long record of taking risks and overcoming odds. During childhood, doctors said he wouldn't be able to walk again from a bone disease, but Harold proved them wrong. When he was kicked out of college, he started a local newspaper that eventually became the Naperville Sun, the largest circulation in town. And after his family replaced their coal yard with lumber in the late 40s, Harold recognized the town was on the brink of change, and he took the opportunity to do something about it. As I have heard it, okay, uh, after the war and people came back, you know, you started building some things. And Harold got the idea of doing subdivisions to sell lumber. And I don't think you'd have a very good chance of buying a lot in his subdivision at that time if you didn't buy the lumber from him. But it was just kind of an unsaid word, and a lot of the builders followed him because they knew that he was going to do a good subdivision. He was the one who you know, had the parks and had the pools, and they were good subdivisions, so they felt honored. And then he would sell lumber to them. His drive to build a better place would lead him to build half of Naperville's neighborhoods by 1975, a time when selling land for development could be made on a promise and a handshake. I was lucky. I, uh, I was the only fella doing any developing in the town, and anybody that wanted to sell a farm really only had one source at that time. Oh, I see. But I did buy a farm from uh, Henry Sheehan and his wife uh, down along the river at Bailey Road. I bought that farm one morning with a handshake uh, and a contract on a napkin. <laughs> uh, I agreed to buy and Henry and Sarah Sheehan agreed to sell this farm to me. We both signed it and our lawyers were, were amiss. <laughs> Though methods for selling land varied in practice, Farmers were still willing to uproot their homes and farms in exchange for money or farming opportunities outside of Naperville. By and large, those farm families also understood fairly early on what the possibilities were for growth here. And most of them did not fight it, but uh, accepted that change. You know, Farmers are very bright people, and if they see the growth coming, and they own 200 acres, like the Sheehan's, they say, geez, you know, farmland is farmland. And if I can sell this 100 acres for 10,000 an acre, and go out and buy those for 1,200 an acre, instead of 100 acres, geez, I could own 600 acres. And that's what they did. Family names that had long been associated with Naperville were disappearing from the area as farmland made way for new subdivisions like Crest Creek Country Club, a development that put Harold Moser and Naperville on the map. As one of the first golf course neighborhoods in the nation, it proved that the suburbs could offer an alternative life of luxury without the makeup of a large city. People will sometimes uh, complain that it's not easy to go from spot A to spot B because it's not a straight line. Well, that's cul-de-sacs. Uh, but 
you know, some of those cul-de-sacs, some of those arrangements of houses, I think are truly wonderful. They're more pleasant spaces to live in. That's what Crest Creek was all about. As suburban development focuses on creating community, people take notice and vacate denser environments like the city, seeking a greater quality of life. Part of it is just population growth. It's just that there's a lot more people. The city was really um, very dirty, very crowded, uh, very congested. And so for a lot of people, the ideal situation was to get out of the city, take the train home, and then be in a leafy, single-family neighborhood of relatively low density. For many Chicagoans, that ideal leafy suburb was found in Naperville, an up-and-coming community with schools that were rapidly building a good reputation, which is something that appeals to people of all backgrounds. It seemed like most of the people that we talked to lived in the city, but they were coming to the suburbs to raise their children. Everybody does whatever they can for their kids. To understand why people live in Naperville, uh, why people uh, are willing to pay taxes, one of those reasons is schools. And to have schools that are based on property taxes is going to create huge inequities. But I think we need to admit the fact that, as a resident of Naperville, one of the things it suggests is I'm willing to spend that money uh, for education. Uh, we lived in Wrigleyville, actually. And it's a nice area. Once you get kids to school age, though, it becomes prohibitively expensive. And uh, we had one, our daughter was in private school and our son was just about to start. And we realized, gee, you could do a lot better for that money. We looked at a lot of the communities, and this was by far uh, the nicest, the best um, value, and uh, just had a really good feel about it. Naperville is a great community. I grew up in the south suburbs of Chicago, now I'm in the west suburbs. And that wasn't by accident. It was because growing up in block parties and, and that sort of sense of community, which tend to minimize itself, um, hasn't happened here. It's just grown. It's uh, one of those type of things that it's contagious. And uh, yeah, we're, we're just um, overwhelmed sometimes about what people are willing to do for us. As popular as the school districts in Naperville were, state funding and increasing property tax still wasn't enough to support nearly 30% annual growth in student population. And they needed to secure education's place for future generations. What they came up with became a solution for school districts statewide. With that rapid growth, schools are the ones that are most affected immediately. I mean, you need roads and you need uh, bridges built, but you have to have some, a building there for these children to go to. And so we were so up to our chins in, in building plans. And that's when we decided we've got to do something about this. The school districts put together a formula that calculated just how many students would be generated from new subdivision and housing developments from single high-density apartments to five-bedroom single-family homes, new dwellings meant more potential public school students, but they wanted to avoid more cost to the taxpayer. We went to the city council and said, would you please adopt this as an ordinance of the city that required these uh, developers to donate land or in lieu of land, money. It was strongly, strongly uh, fought against by the developers. And I'll never forget one morning at seven o'clock, my doorbell rang and there was a registered letter for me telling me that I was being sued 
as president of the school board. <laughs> and the case went all the way to the state Supreme Court. And it was really a precedent-setting ordinance because since then it's been adopted around the country. The new land cash donation ordinance meant developers were buying into the community they came to build in, shaping the character of the city with each new groundbreaking, and by even turning some, like the Levittown builders, away. When they found that they had to donate land and all this sort for the school, they decided not to do that. And we weren't too unhappy about that because it would have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students without any place to send them except crowding the schools that were existing. Between the years 1970 and 1975, five new schools, two of which were high schools, opened up across the school districts as a direct result of the growth in housing. Naperville was apparently singled out as an ideal place. There was a lot of land. Developers saw a great place to build homes. It had a small town atmosphere about it, you know, with its band concerts and ice cream socials and everything. And in the school district, it had a good reputation. The joke in Naperville was that everyone who had a pickup truck was a developer, you know. <laughs> Builders and contractors from near and far all lent a hand in the construction of subdivisions throughout Naperville. It gave them the opportunity to get involved and build a new kind of city out on the edge of the metropolitan area. It becomes this place that goes from you know, 20,000 people to maybe 50,000 people. It's a, it's a very, very shocking growth for all kinds of people. Um, but it's really this creation of the Naperville we know today. As other towns became defined as either bedroom communities or economic centers like Schaumburg and Oakbrook, Chicago's population will continue to decrease, while communities like Naperville will thrive with a surge of new housing in neighborhoods. We are rolled out as a series of subdivision planned unit developments by various developers. And each one of those developers had a marketing identity. Just because of the way the houses that were built, you, you typically had families that were at a similar stage in development. It's kind of cool because the neighborhood developed, people moved in, and what they had in common was we're residents of this area that has no trees, uh, brand new streets, and if I go back 25 years to when I first moved into my house, which I built, there were eight houses on our cul-de-sac, and uh, six of the houses had children, and they all had stay-at-home moms, and we built an identity as a cul-de-sac within our homeowners association. It's, it's kind of cool. With a slew of new subdivisions and businesses, all seemed well for Naperville as it reformed its built environment from the inside out. But in 1976, there was a sudden backlash against the city led by Helen Hoffman, a lifelong resident of Naperville who didn't like how her city had changed within the last three decades, and she began to take action. The residents coming in, in large measure by the 1970s, were talking about people that didn't have ties to Naperville from before. They aren't the children of people that were long-standing residents in town. And so you, you really, it's, it's a moment of great stress. So the people that envisioned this change 
might have thought that they were going to hit this moment, but probably didn't understand the full import of it until it was on them. And they realized that to some degree, the newcomers were overwhelming the old timers in town, the people that had, had, had been the core of who Naperville was. Helen began a petition to reform the council manager government back to the commission form. She needed a total of 2,200 signatures across two petitions, one for city and another for county. But the majority of Naperville's residents, made up of newcomers, didn't see anything in the system that needed fixing and left Helen on her own. On the second petition to the city, I only got 900, which they had to have a special election. They complained bitterly about it because it cost them some money to do that. City leaders responded with a list of several new accomplishments, including the creation of the city's financial department, numerous construction projects and improvements, the land donation ordinance, the creation of Naperville's own public transportation, and the construction of the Springbrook Water Reclamation Center. That was enough to convince the city and its public that there had been improvements since adopting the council manager form of government, and it was here to stay. People began to realize that uh, this was probably not all bad. Housing values have remained strong. We supported many, many bond issues for schools. And people always begin to realize that housing values had a lot to do with good schools, good parks, a good community, people where people wanted to live. But Helen's work didn't stop there. Her passion for the old Naperville led her to stage a write-in for mayor-elect Chester Rybicki. And he won. People in Naperville do not reject the involvement of government in making their community a better place. But they don't rely solely on government. There's an understanding that individuals need to work with their neighbors to get the things that they want and to maintain the things that they have. Following the strengthening of the council manager form of government, Naperville immediately takes advantage of their forward-thinking ability to instantly grow its land area and tax base in one single move. What happened in, in 1977 was the biggest annexation the city ever had probably, over 700 acres known as the East-West Properties Annexation Agreement, annexed the four corners of that. We now control the water and sewer, and guess what? The four corners came to Naperville. The fruition of that annexation came years later, when again, Naperville becomes a first choice over another neighboring town. Nalco Chemical, uh, wanted to locate a headquarters out along the east-west tollway. They looked at a site in Downers Grove, which may have been their first choice, but the EPA had a moratorium on uh, sewer extensions in that area. It was an overloaded sewer. They came out to Naperville, up here at their site, and because we had capacity in the sewer system and, and the Springbrook Water Reclamation Center, they, they located here. One of the key factors of why they located here, Warrenville could have had it all. Warrenville could have had everything all the way south of the tollway, but they sold it to us back in 1977. Warrenville could never get their act together. Uh, and so when you look at the importance of utilities and that utility acquisition, that was huge, huge. The 1970s proved to be a decade of tremendous transition across the U.S. Women had gained a greater presence in culture and the workforce. The White House turns a new leaf. And technology wowed us and boosted the economy throughout the country. 
diversifying metropolitan regions like Chicago's. We talk about the 1960s as the decade of crisis with civil rights and women's rights and immigration reform, opposition to the Vietnam War, political crisis coming. The results of those upheavals that come in the 1960s, you start to see being played out in the 1970s. And so Naperville's growth in the 1970s will rest on those changes as well, those large societal changes, as well as the economic changes. Naperville will see another 38% growth in population from 1976 to 1980, but they will face new challenges in the decades to come. The stage is set for more expansion, but the number of incoming residents may be more than what the city expected. Since the opening of the Fox Valley Mall, downtown Naperville and its patrons began to dwindle. It had long been the place for farmers and townsfolk to pick up goods or grab a bite to eat, but as they were beginning to disappear, so were sales. With the city's 150th birthday celebration on the horizon, Mayor Chester Rabicki and Jim Moser form a committee to start beautifying the downtown and its river. What they came up with was the Riverwalk, a 1.75-mile public walkway along the downtown stretch of river reviving Naperville's concept of public space after 50 years. If we go back to the Centennial Beach in the 1930s, is that idea of having open space, public space, downtown. And so you've got this center that people can come to, spend time out, out with, with uh, other people from the community or go to the, a band concert or they can shop downtown, all of those things so you'd have a, a place to come which uh, it, by the 1970s and 1980s is, it makes Naperville a, a very distinctive place amongst quickly growing suburbs. Though Chet and Jim led the way, building the Riverwalk was a grassroots effort, pulling in local builders, a landscape architect, and citizens young and old who donated their skills and materials to take part in making their downtown a better place while renewing community spirit. In the first year, in either labor, material, or money, we collected $2 million. The first phase of the Riverwalk was completed in 1981, but their work wasn't done. With continued improvements to the river, streets, walkways, and the removal of parking meters, patrons from surrounding shopping centers returned, and even more came to discover Naperville's crown jewel. The river, the bridge that goes across it, the, all of the, the landscaping, public buildings. This is really a, a, a kind of a brilliant stroke of, um, of planning. It's exactly what planning could and should do. And it happens well before many of the larger places start to reimagine their river and, and try to create something. The community's support would lend to the completion of all three phases over the next 30 years, tying the patrons to cultural amenities like Naper Settlement, Centennial Beach, the library, and City Hall. We're interested in why people are downtown and what they're doing. And the, there's the number of people that will respond to the question of what brought you downtown today was just walking around. And it's not only the Riverwalk, but if you take a look at downtown, you have now this retail and restaurant center surrounded by all of these cultural amenities. The Riverwalk will always remain Naperville's greatest amenity, but as the bricks flood with more people each year, the vitality of the downtown will have to rely as much on its retail and service districts 
creating what will become a suburban outpost to Chicago. And outside of Chicago, I think it's probably the largest downtown scene anywhere in the west suburbs. I had somebody from Toronto come by and said Naperville is the most amazing place he's ever been to. He can't believe how clean it is and how structured it is and like just the size of downtown itself and what there is down here. So raving reviews from Toronto. A downtown, by its very nature, is a center for mercantile. And as long as you keep a really solid mix, and that's local stores, national retailers, restaurants, service operations. You know, if you can get your dry cleaning done and get a cup of cappuccino and, and buy a dress, it's a successful downtown. I think it's a great mix. You have to have some of those big, I mean, Apple Store is a perfect example. I was thrilled to see them moving around the corner when the iPhone 4 went on sale. Literally, people were camped out overnight. It's bringing people from all over into the downtown area that might not have normally come here. So absolutely, Apple, Barnes & Noble, I'm happy to see all those places because it helps support all of us. For nearly 150 years, the biggest supporters of the downtown have been its neighbors located just to the east on the campus of North Central College. In other college towns, there may be a firm demarcation between the city and the institution. But North Central and Naperville have learned that their relationship will be the foundation of their success. The relationship between the downtown and all of its partners, particularly North Central College, is, is so crucial. North Central College provides uh, shoppers, uh, diners that, that come into the downtown. Also, it provides employees to the downtown. Black olives? Black olives. It's a great place to try to get a job because there are so many businesses and it's, it gives students an opportunity to get a little taste into the work world. Hey, how you doing? I broke off from my parents' bill, so I was like, okay, I want, I want my own bill. So um, I told my parents, I was like, hey, you know, I'm buying my own phone, I'm getting a new 4S from Apple, and uh, I just wanted to pay my own phone bill. So um, really that's what this is paying for. I have to have money to pay for that. Everything else is kind of like, you know, snacks here, di dinner out with people. You know, I don't really go party, so I don't need to worry about that. But it's also part of the culture. What, what the city of Naperville needed in its downtown was sort of that theater district. And North Central College graciously uh, gave that to the city. Those types of things benefit the city because a lot of people will come downtown and do some shopping or grab a bite to eat before they go there. So there's the benefit of the sales tax generation that goes along with that before they're taking in some of the different amenities that North Central College has to offer. The bond between town and gown may be essential to the prosperity of the downtown district, but it won't rely solely on it. As Naperville's local industry and commerce grows, so do the other cities across the metropolitan region, becoming more tied together than before to where the success of Naperville will rest on the success of the region as a whole. We don't want to be isolationist in any, any way, not as a country, as a nation, uh, certainly not as a city. We're part of the region here, and uh, people freely move in and out of our area. Employers in the region are still incredibly important, so whether it's Argonne and Fermi, whether it's Oak Brook, based corporations or retail, those are, are jobs that um, people in Naperville take up that would not be available if we were not in a wider regional economy. 
Though Naperville is quickly becoming a major center for employment and goods, it isn't the only one in the Chicago metropolitan region and certainly not the largest. Cities like Skokie and Melrose Park would dominate the manufacturing market in Chicagoland, with service centers Oakbrook and Schaumburg trailing behind. But what made Naperville different was its ability to attract people to the town and its location along major crossroads of the metro area. What, what made Naperville so popular for growth was that you had 88, it's transportation, 88 and the Burlington going right through here, okay? So it was a great access place. I mean, you could get to it and uh, you could get in the city, you could go places. Uh, so it just became a natural growth area. The automobile is becoming more and more accessible to more and more people. So by the, 18, by the 1980s, 1990s, we saw a, um, a major turning point where we had uh, as many automobiles as we had registered drivers in this country. So this was something unprecedented in human history, that so many people so far down the socioeconomic ladder could have their own private transportation, they could go where they wanted, when they wanted, and they could have their own single-family house on their own piece of land. There were so many caravans and minivans in the shop, we had to number them by color. I mean, literally, blue one, blue two. It was just everybody in town had a minivan or a Dodge caravan, you know. It was just, I think the welcome wagon handed them out when people got here. Through the early part of the 1980s, growth will be the same as it has been for years. But as more developers from Chicago and the surrounding metropolitan region begin to show interest in Naperville, the Department of Community Development decides to take control of how developments will be mapped out and for the first time, create a master plan. Really, if you want to do a master plan, it's like any kind of a plan, you got to know what's there. And the first thing we did was we um, got good maps of the city. And the staff and I, we went around with the maps and we walked the entire city. And we marked on every map what was there. Is, is it vacant? There was a lot of vacant land those days. Uh, is a house single family or, or a commercial? What kind was it? I think we knew more about Naperville because we had all this information. And then we really got into the planning phase. And that, that's a fun phase. Walt and his department mapped out the city into nine sectors, following the Garden City concept, where each sector contained housing of various densities, land for schools, parks, and shopping centers. Still considered a small community, the empty farms and fields gave the team more freedom to try different layouts. It was all just open land, open land. Had a lot of open land, which is great for doing a plan. If it's open land, you can lay the streets wherever the heck you want. The development team then took all this information to various homeowners associations, shared it through a slide presentation, and asked them what they wanted. Their last step was to bring it before city council. And you know, the night of the presentation, there was not, I don't think, any, any group objected. And they passed it. One, two, three. So the, uh, we then had a master plan. The master plan was like a developer's blueprint of the city. And once one builder saw the possibilities promised by the plan, others followed right behind. Developers were coming in. We couldn't stop them, but the only thing we could do was control them. The word was control. You know, they came in, they want to build houses. Well, it's zoned for commercial, I'm sorry. 
And we want commercial there because in that district, that's the only place we want commercial. See, we put commercial within walking distance. Then we had community shopping centers, bigger ones, that we put at the intersection of the major roads. They found a nice piece of land in the residential district. We fought them. We didn't want it there. It disturbed the plan and it, it, it just wasn't good. Opening the floodgates to developers would ideally provide more people to support more schools, create more jobs, and generate more money for the city. But as their population reached 80,000 in the 1980s, the city leaders neglected the most essential element of life for their residents. I don't think anyone visioned the extent of growth. I mean, everyone knew growth was gonna come, but it came very fast. These thousands of houses that were going in, sod was going down, tremendous amount of watering. Well, that creates a huge demand on the water system. And early one spring out on the east side of town, we lost the pressure one night. Citizens of that area stormed the council meeting, uh, the next uh, meeting Monday night, and wanted a moratorium on building. It was really more, we just don't want all this growth that's happening too fast. While other towns, small towns even, were subscribing to receive water from Lake Michigan, Naperville's decision would be put on hold while they restrict residents' water use to keep their wells in commission. But citizens weren't happy, and the threat of a moratorium was fought by developers, but failed to stand in court. With the fear of losing water looming over their heads, the council looked to Rutgers University in New Jersey to study the city's revenues and resolve their funding to keep their taps flowing. After two years of research, the study stated it was in the city's best interest to have developers pay their way into Naperville, providing the necessary funds for improvements in infrastructure, much like the land donation ordinance set by the school districts. The leaders at that point in time were just very forward thinking and saying, we have a lot of rooftops coming, we have a lot of businesses coming, we have a lot of roadways that are going to need to be improved. How are we going to get this all done? And if you built a home, or if you built an office building, or if you built a retail building, you paid a fee that went into a fund to help provide capacity improvements for Naperville roads. It wasn't to put in um, the road in front of your house or in front of my house. It was in order to improve the arterial roads, the big ones that are out there, the Washington Streets, the Plainfield, uh, or the Rickert Roads, the um, Naper Boulevards, in order to provide the capacity that at this new growth was bringing this traffic to provide the capacity to carry those roadways. With a new leg of revenue for the city, they finally committed to receive Lake Michigan water through the DuPage Water Commission. And it would come just in time after the county voted in favor to put a quarter cent sales tax to help build the $450 million system. To get Lake Michigan water all the way from the lake out to DuPage County was a very big undertaking. Uh, the infrastructure was not in place. Uh, they didn't have a structure to charge uh, the adequate fees to build that revenue source. And again, a lot of it is uh, municipalities and cities trying to give up their resources without any control over it. it. was probably one of the biggest stumbling blocks that they had to come over until they got together an organization that everybody trusted and realized that they would have to just give up control of their finances and not be the one that has to say, I'm gonna control how it's gonna be spent. That's when things finally got rolling. DuPage County would join the small amount of privileged municipalities to receive water from one of the Great Lakes, which provides 20% of the world's freshwater supply. Everybody uses water, whether it's processed water for industry or for a car wash using water for his own business. You have to make sure you have that adequate water supply to help your community keep on growing and expanding. Uh, in Naperville's area, they have you know, a lot of shopping. 
they have a lot of office spaces. To have that kind of transient population, you have to make sure that you have a large water supply that is going to exceed what is your normal basis population. Obtaining Lake Michigan water wasn't temporary. Between Naperville's and the DuPage Water Commission's infrastructure, the allocation process will be able to supply water to Naperville through their remaining growth, a total population around 170,000, which isn't too far away. As with each new decade, Naperville's growth would garner interest from more outsiders. It's seen businesses relocate from another state, Developers and contractors from near and far who sought the opportunities promised by Naperville. And in the 1990s, even more new families would fill the new homes in new subdivisions, among other new homeowners from all different backgrounds, immediately creating a bond between strangers. The fact that you can take people from all over the country, from all over the world, who've come to a community called Naperville in the middle of Illinois and decided to call it home, and you have something in common, you're from Naperville. You can live on your own, you could be a hermit, but it's a whole lot more fun if you've got a neighborhood and you get together with your neighbors and, you, and your neighbors enjoy each other. You don't have to agree. Uh, God knows my neighbors and I on a political basis generally don't agree, uh, but uh, doesn't mean we don't agree about uh, keeping the snow shoveled off of our sidewalks and uh, what makes for a good time on a, on a hot summer day. For most neighborhoods, living together on the same block means facing similar concerns. They create a homeowners association to foster communication in response to the continuing changes going on in Naperville. Homeowners associations emerge as a way of negotiating the growing size of Naperville as a whole so that people who in the 1950s and 1960s could have just gone to the council meeting and brought their concerns to the council will often raise their concerns about their community first in a homeowners association and then the homeowners association will bring those to the council so that you're actually starting to see a layering of uh, organizations within town to try and deal with the real problems that growth has has created the opportunities and, and the problems that are, are, are being created by the early 1980s. You hear a lot about not in my backyard. Not in my backyard is generally about changing the status quo. And nothing gets homeowners more up in arms than what they moved into their house and saw when they got there was what they expect is going to be there for years to come. If somebody comes in and changes it, you're gonna to wanna to see no, this isn't, way, this isn't what I bought. This wasn't the agreement. This was not my covenant when I bought this piece of property. And so you tend to fight it. I got involved as president of my own homeowners association. They were moving our school boundaries. And I became very vocal with uh, having our school boundaries changed. Under the umbrella of the Naperville Area Homeowners Confederation, Bob went before city council asking them not to change the boundaries for the sake of transferring their kids. But with the city population reaching 100,000, they turned him down for the addition of another school. He may have been defeated in the chambers, but the Homeowners Confederation gave Bob the opportunity to raise his voice. Interestingly enough, the school boundary thing, uh, we fought it and, and three years later we thought it was a great deal. We loved the new school. And uh, if they try to take us out of that school now, my neighbor would probably be up in arms once again. They start crime watches beautify their neighborhoods, and hold annual barbecues and meetings. But where homeowner associations really shine is at the street level. 
by creating a greater sense of belonging in a vastly populated city. Naperville never fails to amaze me, um, the way people can come together. Uh, you have a town where north side, east side, west side, south side, we all took Evan Lysacek as our favorite son during the Olympics and during Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, he was from Naperville, and you had people who probably didn't care about the Olympics or didn't care about Dancing with the Stars, but they did because Evan was on there. And it's community spirit, it's, it's kind of cool. We've all moved here because we have a sense of family. And whether it be a micro community here in a subdivision or a block, um, it, it's just a part of the greater Naperville feeling. Um, so it, it, I, I think we're just, uh, maybe a shining example, but an example of what the rest of the town is. We've been uh, thrilled to be here, and you know we, we're proud to be a part of a, a greater association that you know, has other subdivisions doing similar things. While homeowners associations keep community life in their neighborhoods, the surrounding metro area continues to expand until they blend together into one landscape. But with the World Wide Web squelching office and home phone lines by the mid-1990s, the city of Naperville saw the opportunity to attain a global presence and stand out among the other techno-burbs, not just across the region, but around the globe, and created Naperville's storefront, known as the Naperville Development Partnership. Companies can pretty much build their business anywhere they want. And so when they look at the factors of, of what makes you a desirable location, it's important that you have a team out there that's putting this information in front of the businesses. We don't sell a product. I don't lease space in a building. I don't have a widget to put on the table. We sell a sense of place. So when we go out to market Naperville to, to the world of business out there and, and make a case for why they should be in, in Naperville, we're selling the people of this community, the schools and the public entities and the city services are all part of what we have to sell. Having to reach out to companies has never been more important as the market for jobs becomes more globally competitive. We've got a plan differently that we're not fighting Schaumburg against Naperville, against Joliet, against Chicago for jobs. We're fighting against India and China and Brazil. And we needed to think about how do we really do this in a comprehensive way that looks after not only the economic vitality of the region, but really the quality of life of our residents. Without the commercial developments in the city, your property taxes, 70% of which go to the school districts, would be through the roof. Everybody thinks their, their property taxes are too high. That's, that's a given. But if you look at Naperville's property tax rate relative to the fair market value of the properties, you'll find you're much lower than most of your neighbors throughout the region. And a lot of that has to do with the amount of corporate business here and the business community. Since its inception, the Naperville Development Partnership, along with the city of Naperville, have been operating virtually like a business. They have goods and services to offer residents and businesses, either homes, schools, parks, office space, or a warehouse. And what the city gets in return is sustainability and a greater quality of life, which cycles back to future and existing businesses and homeowners. But as competition increases, Cities find that like businesses, they must set themselves apart by creating an identity through branding. What are my residents looking for in this town? 
what drew them here, what attracted them, how do I build on that strength, and again, that how do I think about how my strengths and my neighbor's strengths interact, how do my weaknesses get counteracted by my neighbor's strengths, how do we think about that together, but it, it starts with thinking about what makes me special, why do people want to live here, and building on that that makes it that way. Sometimes what towns do is they think, let's create a theme. And so they go into a downtown and they create a theme. Some of them say, we're going to be the railroad community, or we're going to be um, antique mall haven, or something like that. Or they, they say, we're not going to let in any national retailers. We're only going to do this. You know, if you stay true, and Naperville has stayed true, it's downtown has, has stayed true to being pedestrian friendly, and it's a center for commerce, and it's always kept a good mix. It sort of dodged the only independent store kind of theme or only restaurants. It's never really locked anybody out. And I think that's one of the reasons that we have such diversity starting to appear in suburbs, and even a suburb like um, Naperville, where you could go into a brand new subdivision that's only houses, and the nearest milk store is a mile away, but in a Naperville, you also have the possibility of living in what looks to be a very traditional town. I think that because Naperville has one of the biggest ranges of almost any suburb out in this part of the world, um, that's one of the reasons for its success. Coast to coast, Naperville is one of the most recognized community names, particularly for a community our size. For a community that's, that's less than 150,000 people, to have name recognition from San Francisco to Boston is almost unheard of. Uh, we, we do find ourselves sort of grouped together. There's sort of a category of communities that are very similar, uh, Overland Park, Kansas, or Birmingham, Michigan, uh, Plano, Texas. Those are the types of towns that, that are bringing new business. Those are the types of towns where businesses want to locate because that's where their employees want to live. And those two go hand in hand. Naperville is very fortunate in that regard that it's built itself an identity. It's built itself a brand, a very important brand. Part of that is physical assets. It had the very attractive small downtown. It had the river. It had the college. And, but I think that um, Naperville has very much built on that because much of what you see today isn't really what Naperville inherited, it's what Naperville has remade in order to create that kind of brand. And it's a brand that's very potent because it, um, it isn't shared by most of the towns surrounding it. The picture of a quality life in Naperville struck a chord with many homeowners, bringing them in by the box truck. But for incoming businesses, they struggled with a more antiquated permit process before incorporating. What we found in the mid to late 90s is that we had a lot of great people, a lot of great engineers, a lot of great planners working at the city, but what we found was our processes were an absolute disaster. Someone would come in for a development and it would take them almost two years to get through the process. And at that point in time, development was booming around the city. So a ton of people building houses, a ton of people building commercial property, and to tell someone it was going to take you two years to get a shovel in the ground just wasn't acceptable. 
So what happened at that point in time was uh, the development review team was formed, and that was in about 1999, and what that established was a single point of contact in the city. So if a developer was coming in to build housing development, to build a new retail facility, a new office building, they could come in, get one project manager who was in charge of their project, and instead if they started to go through the development process and they had questions about water or electric or planning, they went to that one person. They didn't have to call eight or nine people anymore. And what we found was that people went from having an almost two-year review cycle to having a couple of months. At the turn of the 21st century, Naperville had hit its stride. Their public and private sectors were going strong. Classrooms were full, housing was still booming, and jobs were plentiful. Some of the towns to the east of us were filled up, you know, and then Downer Groves, the, the Hinsdale area, all built up, and Naperville was, was here. And then, of course, it grew into Aurora. I think home values were going up, and uh, Naperville's home values were accelerating probably better than any other place, and the schools continued to grow, and they were able to keep their high standards, uh, and so, it was sort of a phenomenon that took place that, you know, everybody wanted to live in Naperville. It would have been a different city if it had gone from 20,000 to 100,000 in a decade. These things happen. It's much more moderate, so that when, when Naperville grows, it has the ability to build one kind of house, people understand that experience, and they move on to another kind of house. It isn't all the same kind of housing, and as a consequence, the people who live in Naperville today I think many, you know, yes, are privileged, uh, but there is a range of housing. It's not all the same level of privilege, and, and I think this is a significant thing, and I think it's a consequence of being built over time. Through the first decade of the 21st century, the country was as torn as it was in the 1960s. While the war against terror raged on overseas, the home front was re-identifying with itself dealing with more localized issues and thinking of where they will be in the near future. Cities within the greater metro areas like New York, Los Angeles, Dallas, and Chicago will be dealing with a new problem of overpopulation. And after 40 years and 120,000 people, Naperville was no exception. Well, they have to face the same problem that's faced all of the further in suburbs, which is that once you've become built out, uh, there will be another ring of suburbs and it means that there's going to be first of all more traffic coming through if, if you can imagine such a thing. Uh, it also means that there's going to be competition from newer outlying areas that are going to have their own shopping centers and all kinds of jobs. So Naperville will then be competing. It will no longer be the fresh newest thing at the edge. Probably one of the hardest things the city's got to look forward to now is we funded the city for years on growth. Now we're going to have to fund it on the backs of the people that live here. And it's no longer the new growth funding itself, it's the infrastructure that has to be remodeled, rejuvenated. Uh, it's going to have to be funded by the people who live here. Got to find a different way to get the money because there's no cash anymore from land cash developments from somebody taking a farm field and, and moving forward. For decades, Naperville has been given the gift of luxury at an affordable rate. And it's thanks to development fees, the land cash donation ordinance, devoted volunteers, 
and owning and operating three of its utilities, the greatest of these being electric, which they've owned for over a century. And what began as a couple lamps for late night marbles developed into a triple A bond rated powerhouse that keeps the city alive and its residents wealthy. We've had a, a tens of millions of dollars that we've recovered in costs all these decades. That's helped keep our uh, rates lower because we've not had to borrow money. Uh, growth has paid its way. There's no doubt about it, owning and operating a public utility versus investor owns. We, we, uh, we've got higher bond ratings. We can borrow money if we have to more economically. But, uh, but I believe it's again uh, a philosophy of public power or public water. We're not in it to make a profit. Uh, our dividends are keeping the rates low for our ratepayers. If you look at the older cities of Joliet, Elgin, and Aurora, uh, their problems are, are huge compared to ours because they're older cities. And of course, they all got riverboats and they got incomes to help, uh, help some of that infrastructure. But we're sitting here with a fairly new infrastructure because we grew so fast. But now we need to make sure we operate and maintain it. Even after the worst economic downturn since the Great Depression, Naperville kept afloat through the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, which lent support to Naperville's high-tech corridor, residents, and businesses, continuing its reliability and efficiency by matching $11 million to Naperville's new $22 million electric infrastructure known as Smart Grid. We realized the country's no better than its, than its infrastructure, and so the era came into being, we've, we've got billions out there, and so Congress came up, the President signed, the $3.4 billion was allocated for the electric grid. Now the grid is made up of the generation, the transmission, the high voltage transmission lines, coming in then to our system, the substations, the local distribution system with its underground or poles, and then into the meters. That whole system collectively is the grid. So we need to modernize that, use digital technology. Everything is digital today. I mean, this is the digital era. This project will, will install, complete the automation of our distribution and substations, put in all new meters, real-time meters, that will allow people to start saving money on the way they use electricity. They'll be able to shift their load to off-peak periods, uh, after seven o'clock at night where the rate will drop off dramatically, be a higher rate, it's called time of use rates. But the bottom line is, we've made a business case already to get the grant that we will be able to save over the next 10, 11 years about $34 million. That's a little over $3 million a year. It's also through decades of financial and structural support that has kept Naperville ahead of the recession so it can keep its sights on the horizon. The diversity of Naperville's businesses fortifies it through the time of a recession. So we did see some job loss, but it was fairly moderate. Our unemployment did go up, but relative to what the, what the state averages and the national average, we're certainly well below that. We've maintained, we've actually grown some of the number of businesses in the city, so we have more businesses today than we did two years ago. As more buildings and homes are filled, torn down or stacked on top of each other, it will have everyone thinking more creatively about how to achieve a greater quality of life as growth transforms the landscape that we know today. Uh, we're looking at immigration being the driver 
of the growth, not of Chicago, but of metropolitan Chicago, and particularly the suburbs. We're expecting to get 100 million new Americans between now and 2050. That is an incredible number of people. Hard to imagine what Chicago will look like. Uh, the conservative estimates seem to put it at something like 16 million, which is maybe double what we have now. Probably it means that we'll have a lot of densification at the center and in the older suburbs, but we're also going to have a lot of greenfield. As the metropolitan region matures, the differences between a city and suburb become blurred as one landscape disappears into the other, defining a new kind of region unrecognizable by generations past. I think that the old definitions we had don't really work anymore. Much of suburbia is now so heavily urbanized that it has all of the characteristics that used to be things we thought of with a city. Being a suburb doesn't mean that, that there isn't a self-identity and uh, very concrete decision-making about how to fit into a metro area and what kind of jobs and what kind of, of residents you want in the community. And I think, again, it's not, a suburb is not just reactionary. A suburb is, it can be very proactive in, in a region, but it's taking advantage of its place in a region that's growing. Naperville is no longer in a period of development, but rather redevelopment. And what the landscape of Naperville will look like in the next half century will be left in the hands of the city and its residents. Like Chicago itself, once the boundary fills up, then you start the process of remaking um, all the little parts of it. Um, sometimes that means preservation, sometimes it means tearing it down and rebuilding, but this is a, a process that's constant. Now, European cities have had 2,000 years of this, in most American cities, we're looking at, for the vast majority of buildings, the first building that was ever built on the site. So these are really new places. And I don't think we have any idea what will happen with Naperville 100 years hence, because we've never seen a landscape like this, only that it probably won't look like it looks now if the past is any guide, because urban areas have been places of very fast, often quite violent and unsettling change, and Naperville won't escape that um, no matter how hard it tries.